0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Vindication of the Rights of Women by Mary Wollstonecraft Chapter Eleven, Duty to Parents There seems to be an indolent propensity in man to make prescription always take place of reason and to place every duty on an arbitrary foundation. The rights of kings are deduced in a direct line from the king of kings, and that of our parents from our first parent. Why do we thus go back for principles that should always rest on the same base, and have the same weight today that they had a thousand years ago, and not a jot more? If parents discharge their duty they have a strong hold and sacred claim on the gratitude of their children; but few parents are willing to receive the respectful affection of their offspring on such terms. They demand blind obedience because they do not merit a reasonable service; and to render these demands of weakness and ignorance more binding, a mysterious sanctity is spread round the most arbitrary principle. For what other name can be given to the blind duty of obeying vicious or weak beings merely because they obeyed a powerful instinct? The simple definition of the reciprocal duty, which naturally subsists between parent and child, may be given in a few words. The parent who pays proper attention to helpless infancy has a right to require the same attention when the feebleness of age comes upon him. But to subjugate a rational being to the mere will of another, after he is of age to answer to society for his own conduct, is a most cruel and undue stretch of power, and perhaps as injurious to morality as those religious systems which do not allow right and wrong to have any existence, but in the divine will. I never knew a parent who had paid more than common attention to his children, disregarded, Dr. Johnson makes the same observation. On the contrary, the early habit of relying almost implicitly on the opinion of a respected parent is not easily shaken, even when matured reason convinces the child that his father is not the wisest man in the world. This weakness, for a weakness it is, though the epithet amiable may be tacked to it, a reasonable man must steel himself against. For the absurd duty, too often inculcated, of obeying a parent only on account of his being a parent, shackles the mind and prepares it for a slavish submission to any power but reason. I distinguish between the natural and accidental duty due to parents. The parent who sedulously endeavors to form the heart and enlarge the understanding of his child has given that dignity to the discharge of a duty common to the whole animal world, the only reason can give. This is the parental affection of humanity, and leaves instinctive natural affection far behind. Such a parent acquires all the rights of the most sacred friendship, and his advice, even when his child is advanced in life, demands serious consideration. With respect to marriage though after one and twenty a parent seems to have no right to withhold his consent on any account, yet twenty years of solicitude call for a return, and the son ought, at least, to promise not to marry for two or three years, should the object of his choice not entirely meet with the approbation of his first friend. But respect for parents is, generally speaking, a much more debasing principle. It is only a selfish respect for property. The father who is blindly obeyed is obeyed from sheer weakness or from motives that degrade the human character. A great proportion of the misery that wanders in hideous forms around the world is allowed to rise from the negligence of parents. And still these are the people who are most tenacious of what they term a natural right. Though it be subversive of the birthright of man, the right of acting according to the direction of his own reason i have already very frequently had occasion to observe that vicious or indolent people are always eager to profit by enforcing arbitrary privileges and generally in the same proportion as they neglect the discharge of the duties which alone render the privileges reasonable this is at the bottom a dictate of common sense or the instinct of self-defense, peculiar to ignorant weakness, resembling that instinct which makes a fish muddy the water it swims in to elude its enemy, instead of boldly facing it in the clear stream. From the clear stream of argument, indeed, the supporters of prescription of every denomination fly, and taking refuge in the darkness which, in the language of sublime poetry, has been supposed to surround the throne of omnipotence, they dare to demand that implicit respect which is only due to his unsearchable ways. But let me not be thought presumptuous. The darkness which hides our God from us only respects speculative truths. It never obscures moral ones. They shine clearly, for God is light, and never, by the constitution of our nature, requires the discharge of a duty, the reasonableness of which does not beam on us when we open our eyes. The indolent parent of high rank may, it is true, extort a show of respect from his child, and females on the continent are particularly subject to the views of their families, who never think of consulting their inclination, or providing for the comfort of the poor victims of their pride. The consequence is notorious. These dutiful daughters become adulteresses, and neglect the education of their children, from whom they, in their turn, exact the same kind of obedience. Females, it is true, in all countries, are too much under the dominion of their parents, and few parents think of addressing their children in the following manner, though it is in this reasonable way that heaven seems to command the whole human race. It is your interest to obey me till you can judge for yourself, and the Almighty Father of all has implanted an affection in me to serve as a guard to you whilst your reasoning is unfolding. But when your mind arrives at maturity, you must only obey me, or rather respect my opinions, so far as they coincide with the light that is breaking in on your own mind. A slavish bondage to parents cramps every faculty of the mind, and Mr. Locke very judiciously observes that if the mind be curbed and humbled too much in children, if their spirits be abased and broken much by too strict a hand over them, they lose all their vigor and industry, this strict hand may, in some degree, account for the weakness of women, for girls, from various causes, are more kept down by their parents in every sense of the word than boys. The duty expected from them is, like all the duties arbitrarily imposed on women, more from a sense of propriety, more out of respect for decorum than reason, and thus taught slavishly to submit to their parents. They are prepared for the slavery of marriage. I may be told that a number of women are not slaves in the marriage state. True, but they then become tyrants, for it is not rational freedom, but a lawless kind of power, resembling the authority exercised by the favorites of absolute monarchs, which they obtain by debasing means. I do not, likewise, dream of insinuating that either boys or girls are always slaves. I only insist that when they are obliged to submit to authority blindly, their faculties are weakened, and their tempers rendered imperious or abject. I also lament that parents, indolently availing themselves of a supposed privilege, damp the first faint glimmering of reason, rendering at the same time the duty which they are so anxious to enforce an empty name because they will not let it rest on the only basis which a duty can rest securely. For, unless it be founded on knowledge, it cannot gain sufficient strength to resist the squalls of passion, or the silent sapping of self-love. But it is not the parents who have given the surest proof of their affection for their children, or, to speak more properly, who by fulfilling their duty, have allowed a natural parental affection to take root in their hearts, the child of exercised sympathy and reason, and not the overweening offspring of selfish pride, who most vehemently insist on their children submitting to their will, merely because it is their will. On the contrary, the parent who sets a good example patiently lets that example work, and it seldom fails to produce its natural effect filial respect. Children cannot be taught too early to submit to reason. The true definition of that necessity, which Rousseau insisted on without defining it, for to submit to reason is to submit to the nature of things, and to that God who formed them so, to promote our real interest. Why should the minds of children be warped, as they just begin to expand, only to favour the indolence of parents, who insist on a privilege without being willing to pay the price fixed by nature. I have before had occasion to observe that a right always includes a duty, and I think it may likewise fairly be inferred that they forfeit the right who do not fulfil the duty. It is easier, I grant, to command than reason, but it does not follow from hence that children cannot comprehend the reason why they are meant to do certain things habitually. For, from a steady adherence to a few simple principles of conduct, flows that salutary power which a judicious parent gradually gains over a child's mind. And this power becomes strong indeed, if tempered by an even display of affection brought home to the child's heart. For I believe, as a general rule, it must be allowed that the affection which we inspire always resembles that what we cultivate, so that natural affections, which have been supposed almost distinct from reason, may be found more nearly connected with judgment than is commonly allowed. Nay, as another proof of the necessity of cultivating the female understanding, it is but just to observe that the affections seem to have a kind of animal capriciousness when they merely reside in the heart. It is the irregular exercise of parental authority that first injures the mind, and to these irregularities girls are more subject than boys. The will of those who never allow their will to be disputed, unless they happen to be in a good humor when they relax proportionally, is almost always unreasonable. To elude this arbitrary authority, girls very early learn the lessons which they afterwards practice on their husbands, for I have frequently seen a little sharp-faced miss rule a whole family, excepting that now and then mamma's anger will burst out of some accidental cloud. Either her hair was ill-dressed, or she had lost more money at cards the night before, than she was willing to own to her husband or some such moral cause of anger. Footnote: I myself heard a little girl once say to a servant, My mamma has been scolding me finely this morning, because her hair was not dressed to please her. Though this remark was pert, it was just. And what respect could a girl acquire for such a parent without doing violence to reason? After observing Salies of this kind, I have been led into a melancholy train of reflection respecting females, concluding that when their first affection must lead them astray, or make their duties clash till they rest on mere whims and customs, little can be expected from them as they advance in life. How, indeed, can an instructor remedy this evil? For to teach them virtue on any solid principle is to teach them to despise their parents children cannot ought not be taught to make allowances for the faults of their parents because every such allowance weakens the force of reason in their minds and makes them still more indulgent to their own it is one of the most sublime virtues of maturity that leads us to be severe with respect to ourselves and forbearing to others but children should only be taught the simple virtues For if they begin too early to make allowance for human passions and manners, they wear off the fine edge of the criterion by which they should regulate their own, and become unjust in the same proportion as they grow indulgent. The affections of children and weak people are always selfish. They love others because others love them, and not on account of their virtues. Yet, till esteem and love are blended together in the first affection, and reason made the foundation of the first duty, morality will stumble at the threshold. But till society is very differently constituted, parents, I fear, will still insist on being obeyed, because they will be obeyed, and constantly endeavor to settle that power on a divine right which will not bear the investigation of reason. End of chapter 11